the people that owned the grocery stores ate at Lynch's Supper Club. So when my dad bottled it up and took it to them and said, hey, we're going to start selling it, they put it right up front by the register. From Grindstone Media, this is Nebraska Made, a narrative journey through the lives of Nebraska's most inspiring business leaders. We unpack the intimate details of how our guests navigated obstacles and built their companies in pursuit of the good life. I'm JT Martin, and today we hear from Monty Lynch, the grandson of the Nebraska salad dressing mogul, Dorothy Lynch. Dorothy Lynch homestyle salad dressing has somewhat of a cult following in Nebraska. You might see its commercials on the Jumbotron at Husker football games, and it's so hard to get your hands on it outside of the Midwest that there have been reports of people willing to pay up to $100 in fees just to ship a case to Israel, or passengers stashing bottles in their luggage before boarding a plane. It's a phenomenon. For Monty Lynch, Dorothy's grandson, growing up in the Lynch family business was a dream childhood. I enjoyed being a kid growing up in the middle of Nebraska. You can't get too much more right in the middle than in St. Paul. That's where I was born, in St. Paul. That's where my grandparents, Art and Dorothy, lived. Uh, my mom and dad, Neil and Janice, started out helping my grandparents. Uh, and then they went together uh, and built Lynch's Supper Club there in St. Paul. But it was just, you know, a good supper club. It was steaks, seafood, and, and chicken. Uh, a lot of steaks. Uh, the seafood would have been more like deep-fried shrimp. The other thing was when you got your salads that came with your meal, there wasn't a big variety back then of salad dressings. Uh, they would come with this little serving tray that had three different little cups of salad dressing, and... It was usually Thousand Island, a French dressing, and blue cheese. That's where the one that's the uh, spicy, tomato-based, what they would have called French dressing, started becoming popular. But this was just different enough and had a, a likable, unique flavor that people really liked it. And so Dorothy Lynch was born. It was the early 1950s, and back then, going to the supper club on the weekends was a big event. You'd get dressed up, you'd go out, you'd see people that you knew, you'd wave at them, visit with them. And it was around this time that the Lynches started noticing that the salad dressing began disappearing from the tables. So they decided, well, if people are willing to go out of the way to steal it, maybe they would actually buy it. When it started becoming kind of a popular thing, and people... You know, it started to be a buzz about it, and people were asking to buy some, you know, if they could buy a, a quart jar of the salad dressing to take home with them, whatever. That was when he started thinking, well, hey, maybe we could start packaging it, bottling it, and uh, have some, some sales on the side with the, the salad dressing. Even people around other towns nearby and, and a ways out, the people that owned the grocery stores ate at Lynch's Supper Club. So they were already familiar with it. So when my dad bottled it up and took it to them and said, hey, we're going to start selling it, they, they put it right up front by the register. 
In fact, they would suggest to people that came through, look, you got to try this. And if you don't like it, you can bring it back. How much then of the of the revenue was coming from the restaurant versus selling this Dorothy Lynch? When did it kind of tip to be like, okay, this is a real product that could be its own company? Probably uh, right around 1959. There's still uh, articles from the paper clear back then uh, that have been revised and that are on the internet that show the old newspaper articles of when it was first started and pictures of Art and Dorothy together in the kitchen bottling the dressing, uh, which he would then put cases in the back of his car. Uh, He actually took out the back seat of his car so they could put more cases in there. And he would drive all around out to, you know, uh, North Platte, clear over to Omaha here, uh, Lincoln, anywhere, up to Valentine, clear down to York, just taking the dressing to grocery stores. And uh, he would never have any problem, you know, selling it or getting rid of it because it's just people knew of it you know it just got to be a popular thing so it's the late 1950s and the lynch supper club is doing great and the salad dressing is adding some revenue on top the restaurant back then was all cash at the time there were no credit cards so they paid much less in taxes the lynches were doing very very well for themselves art and dorothy were actually living the dream before decades before anybody came up with that phrase these days they really were Uh, and people liked them people admired them and uh, they traveled around the world europe asia uh, they made friends wherever they went they uh, made friends in taiwan where uh, a friend of theirs from taiwan actually came to the united states and came and visited them there in saint paul it was a unusual thing and in fact, the newspaper came and interviewed the guy. I, don't ask me how. I can actually remember his name was Tony Quo. <laughs> and uh, so they, they interviewed him, and he was cooking some Asian dish at their place, and they took pictures. Do you think that the success was due to the salad dressing, or was it just due to the likability of Dorothy and Art? Their personalities uh, had a great deal to do with their success, really. Like I say, people liked them. They, they knew everybody around town, any place you would go. Everybody knew them. They knew everybody. And, of course, it was a small town. Who do you think should get more credit for its success, Neil or Art and Dorothy? Well, there's really no question about that, and that would be Neil. By far, he was the one that marketed it, pushed it, uh, and you like to buy from people you like. My dad was a a very personable, likable guy. In the early 1960s, Dorothy Lynch was rolling, so much so that the Lynches just couldn't keep up with the high demand. So finally, on May 6, 1964, the Lynches sold the recipe to Gordon Mack Hull. Gordon incorporated the local business under the name Tasty Toppings and opened his first plant near Columbus Municipal Airport. When did Tasty Toppings approach you or or Neil? Did he approach them? How did that merger uh, come about? You know, they didn't, it wasn't like they had anything else going at the time. They bought it just to start producing 
the Dorothy Lynch. Now, what's interesting is, like I say, they had lots of other uh, recipes at the restaurant where they made their own stuff. Barbecue sauce, poppy seed dressing, uh, Roquefort, which is like blue cheese, of course, and uh, all these different things. So when they took over and bought the rights to do the Dorothy Lynch, they also got these other recipes also. But the only thing they've ever produced was the what they called Dorothy Lynch home style. The Tasty Toppings people never really had to do any huge marketing thing because as it grew, they could barely keep up as it was. I mean, because now people uh, that moved away, rather than having their relatives bring it to them, they would simply ask their grocery stores, look, can't you just get this stuff for us? Well, you know, we want to buy it. So distributors, then they had to start handling it to take care of the grocery stores and uh, it just it just went like wildfire across the country. How did the acquisition go? Was there like a certain amount of money that they gave or would they give payments over the course of 100 years or how does it work? Okay, they bought the company for a set price. I don't remember what it was, but they agreed to pay a 1% of total gross royalty for the use of the Dorothy Lynch name for 50 years. Now, to make that deal with any company today would be a little outrageous because 1% of the total gross, that could end up being a lot because you're not talking about 1% of, of uh, net or whatever. So that's what, it, it, that's what the deal was. From that point on, you know, like I say, it took off, spread like wildfire. Now, it's kind of somewhat common knowledge that the owner of the company, uh, Mac Hall, was somewhat uh, conservative, penny pincher, a little tight. There's things on the internet uh, about employees that work at the plant that have been there for years without a pay raise. You know, just a few things. If he was a little bit tight about that. So as the years went on, he became maybe a little disgruntled of having to pay that 1% as the checks, you know, as they sold more and more salad dressing every year, the checks got bigger and bigger and bigger, which were going to Art and Dorothy. And then of course, after Dorothy passed away in 1975, they continued to go to Art. Well, even back in those days, the 1% that was going to art was like 25, 30,000 a year, which was big money back then. And it was a great retirement for art. And then they came out with a reduced calorie, no fat, fat-free dressing that was just changed the recipe a little bit to make it uh, more of a diet thing because it, it, the times came where they needed to offer that. Since the owner decided that they had tweaked the recipe a little bit, he decided that they didn't need to pay the royalty on the diet, fat-free, reduced calorie. Mm. So then there became a, a lawsuit. It was going to be decided by a jury. 
So it was during this time that I happened to be riding in the car with my mom. And this was all, it was like a quite a lengthy thing. It was uh, like a week-long uh, court deal where the jury was going to have to decide the outcome. And my mom and I were happened to be in the car together, and she said to me, you know, the recipe for the salad dressing wasn't Dorothy's. And I said, what? Capital letters, exclamation point, exclamation point. And she just looked at me and shook her head and said, no. She said, Dorothy had a cousin in Wyoming that one time included this recipe in a letter that she had written to her. And I said, well, what about after it became famous? Didn't the person ever say anything? Once again, she just shook her head and said, nothing was ever mentioned about it. The only thing I could say after that was, wow. There was only four people that ever knew what that, what the situation was there, and that was Neil, Janice, Art, and Dorothy. And whoever the cousin was, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, out in Wyoming that had originally sent uh, this recipe. Well, the Lynches won the court settlement and continued to receive royalties up until 2014. And up until this very show, only a handful of people have known about the true origination of the recipe. What about starting Dorothy Lynch in Nebraska specifically do you think made it take off? It was a lot to do with the small town and rural community. Uh, people that patronized their, their restaurant. Uh, you know, you like to do business with people you like. Today, millions of bottles of Dorothy Lynch are produced each year at the 65,000 square foot plant on the east side of Duncan, Nebraska. Dorothy Lynch passed away in June of 1975, but her legacy lives on on dinner tables across Nebraska. I'm JT Martin, and this has been a Grindstone production. Grindstone is one of the premier production and marketing firms here in Lincoln, offering everything you need to grow your business in 2020, from video and podcast production to social media management and media buying. You can learn more by visiting grindstoneagency.com. I just always hear lots and lots of different things about all the different crazy things that people come up using it for. One of the most popular things is putting it on pizza. I hear that probably the most of anything. Putting it in goulash, just, you know, uh, there's so many things, you know, that you can go on the internet and once again find all kinds of things for uses for, uh, for the Dorothy Lynch. Taco salads, all kinds of stuff.